Before we start in Galatians tonight, I want to show you a different point of view that I heard a theologian preach on this week. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 3. I'm always interested in knowing why do I see things in the scripture different from so many others. And this theologian gave a really good explanation of where he was coming from, so I thought I would share it with you. It's a little different from what I teach, but we can then judge. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. How many times have we looked at this scripture? Many times, right? Muchos. Muchos. Begins all scripture. And he stopped and said, by that, Paul means the New Testament. Because, of course, Paul teaches the Old Testament has been done away with. So this means it's just the New Testament. And Peter agrees, by the way. He said in 2 Peter 3, keep a finger here. Go to 2 Peter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3. There we go, 2 Peter chapter 3. At the very end, verse 16, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, which are some things hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction, as they do also the rest of the scriptures, he says, therefore meaning the New Testament. Now turn back to 2 Timothy 3. The next phrase is, is given by inspiration of God, which means God breathed. Therefore, Paul is saying that every word of the New Testament was breathed out of God's mouth. That is, God dictated every single word and preserved it into English, of course, in the 1611 King James Version of the Bible, maintained every word that came from the mouth of God. Do you see why we're on different pages? To me, this is every scripture. Scripture is defined as that which came out of the mouth of God. Instead of saying, no, no, no. If it's in the New Testament, it came out of God's mouth. Even though there is nothing in the New Testament itself to say that. So I just thought I would share that with you guys and let you mull it over and see what you think. Let's go back to Galatians now. May I point out one thing too? Yes, yeah, sure. I was reading something today. The, the evangelical Christian world. The evangelical Christian world. Totally ignores what the Lord's Day is. They totally ignores what the Lord's Day is. They, they don't even have a clue that that's a day of judgment. The, the day of wrath, the day of the Lord, and they call it Sunday. Right, right. It's like crazy. They do that because the Catholic Church did that back in the 4th century at the Council of Laodicea. Yeah. Yep, so we're in Galatians chapter 4, right? Mm -hmm. Verse 28. We're getting very close. I see a number one out there. Let me check and see what it is first. <laughs> Yeah, I agree. Okay. Galatians chapter 5. We're starting at verse 28. Sorry, chapter 4. We can't start in chapter 5. We'd be done. We, we, we can't be done yet. 
I haven't got all the questions in yet. In fact, I don't have any questions in yet, so please send them in. Okay, Galatians 4, verse 28. Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are children of the promise. Let's go to Romans 9. What's he mean? We're children of the promise. What had God promised Abraham but that he would have a child through Sarah? And that child was Isaac, not Ishmael. So in Romans chapter 9, verses 1 through 9, we read this. I tell the truth in Messiah. I am not lying. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were a curse from Messiah for my brethren, my countrymen according to the flesh who are Israelites, to whom pertain the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the service of God, and the promises, of whom are the fathers and from whom according to the flesh Messiah came, who is over all the eternally blessed God. Amen. Wait a minute. What did Paul just call Messiah? The eternally blessed God? But it is not that the word of God has taken no effect, for they're not all Israel who are of Israel. What's that mean? You've got to remember that Israel's name was not Israel when he was born. He was given the name of Jacob. When did God change his name from Jacob to Israel? When he came to faith, when he became a believer. Just as God changed Abram's name to Abraham when Abraham got saved by faith. So the name Israel applies to those who have a true abiding faith in the Lord our God. Those that are saved by faith. So to everyone who calls themselves Israel are truly Israel. Just like not everyone who calls themselves a Jew, which means one who praises God, truly is. Verse 7, Nor are they all children, because they are the seed of Abraham, but in Isaac your seed shall be called. Verse 7 means Abraham had how many children? I see somebody going too, but remember he had 12 other sons besides Isaac and Ishmael, right? He had a whole host of sons through Keturah. But in those, whom does God consider to be Abraham's seed? Those who come through Isaac. In Isaac your seed shall be called. This is here especially importantly because when Abraham was told to take Isaac to Mount Moriah and offer him there as a sacrifice, how many children did Isaac have? None. God had already promised beforehand that all his descendants would come through Isaac. So what would happen if he would sacrifice Isaac and God left him in the grave? He'd have a broken promise. God would have lied. Can God lie? No, that's why Abraham said, hey, if I sacrifice my son, God's just going to raise him back from the dead anyway. And that's why Hebrews chapter 11 says, and thus he received him back from the dead in a figurative way. Verse 8, that is those <clears throat> who are the children of the flesh. That is those like Ishmael, 
were the result of Sarah taking her handmaid Hagar and giving her to Abraham and saying, have a child by Hagar so that we can help God fulfill his promise. Does God need our help to fulfill his promises? No. What was she demonstrating a lack of? Faith. And patience. It only been 25 years. I mean, what's a few more years? After all, she was already, what, 100, give or take? So verse 8, that is those who are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as the seed. For this is the word of promise, at this time I shall come, and Sarah shall have a son. That is, that was God's promise, not that Abraham would have a child through Hagar, but that he would have a, a child through Sarah. He simply had to be patient and let his faith remain strong. So as we go back to Galatians, to verse 28 of chapter 4, it says, Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are children of promise. What does he mean by that? We're children of God by faith. If you are saved by faith, you are a descendant, a seed of Abraham. That was Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 to 29. For you are all sons of God through faith in Messiah Yeshua. For as many of you as, <clears throat> for as, many of you as were baptized into Messiah have put on Messiah. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Messiah Yeshua. And if you are Messiahs, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Is that promise made only to Jewish people? No, that's made to everybody. If you are saved by faith and there's no other way to be saved, then you are Abraham's seed according to God's estimation and according to the promise. Back to Galatians 4, verse 29. But as he who was born according to the flesh, that's Ishmael, then persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, that's Isaac, even so it is now. How did Ishmael persecute Isaac? Did his descendants attack Israel again and again and again? Who was one of his grandchildren? Y'all don't know. Never mind. Okay. Joseph. But many of the Palestinian terrorists of today descend from Ishmael. Okay. Verse 30. Nevertheless, what does the scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. So Ishmael pictures trying to be saved by works. And Isaac pictures being saved by faith. Will those who try to be saved by works be joint heirs with those who are saved by faith? His point is no, absolutely not. That's the whole point here. Remember the issue here in Galatia is Paul came through and taught them that salvation is by faith. And others have come up from Judea and said no, no, no. You have to be circumcised according to the custom of Moses and keep God's commandments perfectly, then you can be saved. 
If that was truly the standard, who would be saved? No one. (laughs) Not even the ones claiming it. That's exactly right. What does Messiah call them? Hypocrites. Hypocrites. Sons of perdition. All kinds of names that you don't want him to call you, right? So verse 31, so then, let us draw a conclusion. Brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. Meaning we do not have to earn our salvation by works. It's not possible if you tried, so don't try. Salvation is by faith and faith alone. Go back to Genesis chapter 15. Genesis chapter 15. Genesis chapter 15, verse 6. Why do I want us to go back here and look? Because Paul points back to this verse over and over again. And he, Avram, believed in the Lord, and he counted to him for righteousness. Why does the New Testament, and particularly the writings of Paul, say that this was sealed in blood? Let's see what happens next. So he said to him, verse 9, bring me a three-year-old heifer. And he, that's right. He cuts the animals in half. He sheds the blood. That's why this salvation by faith is a covenant. It's made on the shedding of blood. One-sided. It's one-sided. It was with the shedding of blood. And what do those blood sacrifices point to in picture? The death of Messiah. Right. Yes, ma'am. All covenants are sealed with blood. Yeah, the Hebrew phrase is not make a covenant, it's cut a covenant. They, tra- they tend to translate it to English as make a covenant because they think we're squeamish and we don't want to think of blood. I say that marriage is a covenant. Yeah, let's not go there on the tape. I mean, there are. But you're human, right. There are human covenants. Yeah. But what happened as soon as they came off the ark, the same chapter as the rainbow, they sacrificed to the Lord. Yep. So they shed the blood to seal the covenant of the rainbow. Yep. How many of you have ever seen a rainbow? It's still there. Let's go back to Galatians and start chapter 5. Chapter 5, verse 1 says, stand fast. Well, how do you stand slow? What's that mean? It means be steadfast, don't move. Be steady as a rock. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Messiah has made us free. Oh, thank goodness, that means we're free to sin all we want to. No, that's not what that means. So what does it mean? Stand therefore in the liberty by which Messiah has made us free. What has he made us free from? Sin. The penalty of sin. What's the penalty of sin? The wages of sin is death. He took that death penalty upon himself. And do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. That yoke of bondage means trying to earn your salvation by works. Don't even go there. Messiah has set us free from trying to earn our salvation. We're saved by faith. 
Let's go back to Romans 6. Paul talks about this to every preaching group he finds, every audience that will listen. Romans 6.18 And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of what? Of righteousness. So that means instead of continuing to walk in sin, we're supposed to walk in righteousness. I heard a preacher just say today that you can't say that. The people will leave your congregation. They'll go find a church that says it's okay to sin. Let them go. Yeah. Verse 18, having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness, which means you don't have to sin anymore. Before we got saved, we didn't have a choice. We were born in sin. We lived in sin. We would have died in sin. But once we got saved, we now have a choice. Will we continue to walk in sin or will we walk in righteousness? Scripture says if you are truly saved, you will walk in righteousness because you want to. Verse 19, I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness, that is before you got saved, you walked in uncleanness. And of lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. Why is that word holiness so significant? What does it say in Hebrews? Without holiness, no one will what? No one will seek God. They mean, of course, except on Judgment Day. But that's not when you want to seek God. So what is Paul really trying to tell us here? Is that if we've been saved by faith, we should stop what? We should stop sinning. Verse 20, for when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. What fruit did you have then in the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. What eternal good did your walking in sin do? You all know the answer is nothing. But now having been set free from sin, having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness in the end, everlasting life. What do you think it means there, the end? The goal. Tell us. What is the goal of living a life of holiness? Everlasting life. Can you achieve everlasting life living a life of sin? This says no. Verse 23 says, For because the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Messiah Yeshua our Lord. And there is no other. We read again in Galatians chapter 4 that we just finished. Verse 1. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, what was that Greek word, do you remember? Napios, yes, from which we get nappy or diaper. Does not differ at all from a slave, though he is master of all. Because both obey the Father. One out of fear of punishment, one out of love. 
Where is it in the Old Testament? Is it in Micah or Malachi? Let's turn back there and see if we can find it. Where God says in chapter 1 of Malachi, verse 6, I'll give you the shorthand. It's in Malachi 1 6. A son honors his father, and a servant his master. If then I am the father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my reverence, says the Lord of hosts? In other words, who should give honor to the Lord? Everyone. Whether a slave or a son, all should honor the father. Does that make you think of any verse in the book of Luke? Maybe in chapter 6? Maybe in verse 46. Let's go to Luke chapter 6, verse 46. You can almost hear the frustration in Messiah's voice. But why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I say? Does that make you think of Luke chapter 13, verse 23? It does me. Let's turn over there. Luke chapter 13, verse 23. A Bible teacher was suggesting just this afternoon that the parable of the ten virgins in Matthew chapter 25 might mean that only half of the people who claim to be Christians in the world will actually go in the rapture. Let's see what the Lord said in Luke 13, 23. It's actually not the Lord, they're speaking to the Lord. It says, then one said to him, that's our Messiah, Lord, are there few who are being saved? If your Bible says who are saved, put being in there. It's a participle. Are there few who are being saved? And he said to them, what? Strive to enter through the narrow gate. For many, I say, that he will seek to enter, will not be able. So are the two roads about 50-50 according to Messiah? Matthew chapter 7. There's many on the broad road. He says there's few on the narrow road. Let's go back to Galatians. I didn't mean this to be a downer lesson. Let's get pumped up. Verse 1, stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Messiah has made us free means stop sinning and stop trying to earn your salvation by works. Here's where people misunderstand Galatians. They think Paul is answering a question, once a Gentile gets saved, should they keep God's commandments? And I hear him saying, no, no. But that's not the question. The question is, how are we saved? Are we saved by faith or by works? And the answer is by faith. But then does that mean that we're free to walk in sin? Responsibility goes along with it. Responsibility goes along with it. 
Do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. In the book of Hebrews, what did Paul call that doctrine that we must earn our salvation? Do you remember? Turn up to the book of Hebrews. Verse 6. I'm sorry. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1. Figure by now y'all could read my mind, but I guess that's a couple weeks away yet. Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Messiah, let us go on to perfection, which means spiritual maturity. Doesn't mean perfect like you and I think perfect. Not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. That last half of the verse means that we're saved by faith and not by works is an elementary principle. That even the youngest, most unskilled babe in the scriptures should understand. And of course he says in a prior chapter in Hebrews 5 verse 12, For though by this team you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. Because the folks in Hebrews were in the same condition as Galatians. They're being told to stop this Yeshua nonsense and come back to earning your salvation through works of the law. And Paul's saying, come on, guys. That's the most elementary of principles. That's what we must have mastered first. So go back to Galatians 5, verse 2. Indeed, I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised, Messiah will profit you nothing. What's that mean? That if you listen to these false teachers and you get circumcised to earn your salvation, then what? Then you've gone off the path. You're not on the narrow road anymore. You're now on the broad road trying to earn your way to heaven. It's never worked before. It'll never work now. It'll never work in the future. So is circumcision the way to salvation? The answer is absolutely not. It's the purpose for which they become circumcised. They become circumcised for any other reason. Yeah, if they're circumcised for health reasons. Didn't, didn't Paul have Timothy circumcised? Paul had Timothy circumcised. That was because he was a Jew. Right. So it's, but he didn't have him circumcised so that he'd be saved. Correct. And that's exactly what I'm trying to say is verse 2 is more limited than people read it. Right. If you get circumcised to earn salvation, Messiah will profit you nothing. Yeah, so we're agreeing, we're on the same page. Verse 3. And I testify again. What's it mean to testify? Speak forward. Speak forward. Not just speak forth, that's prophesy. Testify, to be a witness, one must testify to things he has actually seen and observed himself. Not something he's heard secondhand. So who taught Paul? Did he learn from the other apostles? He was tutored by the Lord himself. So he is a direct witness, not indirect. I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised, that is to earn salvation. 
that he is a debtor to keep the whole law. What are the odds he'll be successful? A little less than zero. Let's go to. Out of love, yes, but not to earn our salvation. That's exactly what Paul is focusing on and people miss. James chapter 2. James chapter 2. The entire New Testament is in agreement. If you want to be saved by keeping the commandments, you've got to keep them all perfect and you're never going to do it. But out of love, we will do our best. James chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. James chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. For whoever shall keep the whole law, yet stumble in one point, he's guilty of all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. His point is, how many commandments do you have to break for the wages to be death? Just one. Just one. Well, that's why Jesus said in the model prayer to confess your sins every time you pray. Correct. Because what happens if we confess and repent of our sins? He's faithful and just to forgive it. Back to Romans chapter 6. Verses 20 to 23. We read them a few minutes ago, but I want you to put them in the notes again. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. Because if you broke one, doesn't matter how many others you break. If you're trying to be saved through the works of the law. But it says in verse 21, What fruit did you have then in the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. Now having been set free from sin, having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end, everlasting life. Again, that word holiness, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14, without holiness no one will see God. Go back to Galatians. How many of you have read the Left Behind series? I'm in book three, and I'm just, it breaks my heart, some of the theology in it. You might as well be reading Perry Mason mysteries. Yeah. These people were left behind. They get saved. They start complaining about other people's sins and condemning other people for their sins as they're sitting around eating their shrimp scampies at supper. Did you notice that? No. <laughs> Ugh. Okay. I'm sorry, back to Galatians 5, verse 4. You, that is you who have been circumcised according to the false teacher's doctrine so that you can be saved, you become estranged from Messiah. What's the word estranged mean? You're no longer in a relationship. You attempt to be justified by law. Finally, they put in here what the issue is. You who attempt to be justified by law. But notice attempt to is in italics. Which means it's not originally there. So 
So it says, you have become estranged from Messiah, you who are justified by law. If that's their method, if that's what they chose, they're no longer in a relationship with Messiah. It says, you have fallen from grace. Let's go to Romans 3, starting in verse 20. Romans chapter 3, starting in verse 20. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. Boy, is that not clear? That's clear. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. That is, the law was not meant to be a way of salvation. It was meant to show us the difference between right and wrong. It says, but now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, meaning the righteousness through faith, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, meaning that's what was always intended, that's what was always prophesied, is that salvation would be by faith. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Yeshua the Messiah to all and on all who believe. What's that word believe mean? Say by faith. For there is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We're in Romans chapter 3 for those who just arrived. Verse 24. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Messiah Yeshua. Whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood. Through faith, not through works, through faith. To demonstrate his righteousness. Because in his forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed. To demonstrate at the present time his righteousness. That he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Yeshua. Where is boasting then? It is excluded by what law of works? No, but by the law of faith. Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. That is absolutely true. How many people accuse you of trying to earn your salvation by works? Everybody try to talk to you. Yeah. It's because they don't understand. Are we trying to be saved by works? No. So then why do we keep the commandments of God? Because they're commandments. Because they're commandments? Good, good reason. <laughs> and because we love him. For some reason, you know, we were taught that the Torah was kind of separated, I guess, into the Jewish and the Gentile sections, or however you want to put it, the moral and the ceremonial yeah three parts the moral the ceremonial and the civil where's that in the scripture it's not it's in the baptist yeah so let's go to galatians 2 verse 16 galatians 2 verse 16 to make sure we don't lose paul's flow yes some this is really confusing Because we're saved by faith. And through our faith, we love the Lord. And through your faith, you love the Lord. And therefore, we keep his commandments. Therefore, we keep his commandments because he said, if you love me, keep my commandments. And Paul is telling them not to. And Paul is telling them not to 
keep commandments in order to earn salvation. But he's saying that once you get saved, then what? Did you miss that in Romans 6? Let's go back and look at Romans 6 again. Keep a finger in Galatians 2. Paul never says that a believer should break any of God's commandments. In Romans 6, verse 22. But now, having been set free from sin, having become slaves of God, that is, we will keep God's commandments out of love. You have your fruit to holiness in the end everlasting life. So the beginning point in Romans 6 is, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? And his answer is, absolutely not. And that's his whole point to Romans chapter 6, is once you're saved by faith, now we keep the commandments out of love. Not to try and earn salvation so we can say, God, you owe us salvation. I earned it. Those are my wages. The only wages we earn is death. You think what's a little confusing for you? Is that it isn't easy to keep the commandments. It should be once you're a believer. It should come natural. They should be written on your heart, and your heart's desire is to do them. What do you find hard? To keep Shabbat? To avoid pigs? To not paint Easter eggs and put up Christmas trees? Then what's hard? It's a mindset. For there. me, it's a mindset of overcoming the false teachings from childhood that were instilled so strongly yeah. that uh, it's now habit. And it's like any bad habit to break, you got to you got to be disciplined. I have to be disciplined and keep that conscious awareness of the change that has to take place, and also to be encouraged is that. It did, I didn't get to where I was overnight. I'm not going to get away from all of it overnight. God will give to me as I need, step by step. Like, like Scripture said, step by step, word by word, line by line, precept by precept. You know, as I'm able to, able to, yeah. when I pray. Yeah, that portion of Scripture you just quotes is actually a bad thing, not a it? good thing. Yeah. But we won't go there. We'll go back to Galatians 2. It sounds good when we use it that way. Yeah, it sounds good that way, but that's a bad one. Okay. Galatians 2.16. But you're... um, I don't want to sound at all judgmental. But... Go back 200 years. Let's not just say today. Remember how all the wedding vows the wife said to... Honor and obey. Because that was the bride's desire was to please her husband. That's what the scripture's talking about. I hear so many wedding ceremonies today that don't even include those words because they're considered gosh. Okay. I don't even know what that word means, but that's what they consider. Yes, Doc. It, 
if you read through the New Testament, especially Romans, uh, it is confusing, and probably because it wasn't written in Greek to start with, but Paul himself says that the law slew him, but then he turns around and he says, okay, I'm buried with Messiah, I'm raised with Messiah, I am dead to the law, now I'm free to be a servant and to keep the law, I'm free. I'm not under bondage because before, when I broke it, it slew me. I got the penalty. Mm -hmm. But now, I have paid the penalty. Messiah paid it for me. I'm resurrected. Now I have the law of liberty, which is following the Torah with a clear conscience because I love Yeshua. Right. It's it's a totally it's the same thing, but in a it's convoluted because so many people see it as a law of condemnation. It was never God sitting around with a flaswater waiting to get us. No, never was. But You're the right. The penalty of the law is death if we if we transgress it. Yeah. But the the freedom comes in the fact that we are born again, and now the law is in our heart. We are actually free from the condemnation. He says in Romans 8, yeah. 28, there's no condemnation to those who are in Messiah and who walk according to whatever it is. But, you know. Yeah, you know, you're the first person I've heard add the rest of the verse to it. Yeah, it's... it's Many times this summer I've been told there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus, you meaning we can sin all we want to and it's okay. That's but that's not true. There's a who clause there. Yeah. You're right. So Galatians 2.16. Start at 15. I don't like 15, but let's start there anyway. Galatians chapter 2. Starting in verse 15. We who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles. By that he means the Jews who keep the law to the best of their ability versus the Gentiles who didn't keep it at all. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law. Paul says we know that a man is not justified by the works of the law but by faith in Yeshua the Messiah. Even we have believed in Messiah Yeshua that we might be justified by faith in Messiah and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law no flesh shall be justified. What Paul is saying is he is a Pharisee of the Pharisees. If anybody was going to be saved by the works of the law, it would be him. And he's not trying to be saved that way because it's simply not possible. And then Galatians 3.11 but then no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident, for the just shall live by faith. And that's from where? From Habakkuk. And Galatians 3.24. Therefore the law was our, it's not tutor, just scratch that out. Pedagogos. Like we talked before, is that trusted slave or servant that was assigned as the bodyguard to the young child to protect them until they got old enough to defend themselves. All right, Galatians chapter 5, verse 5. For we, Paul includes himself, through the Spirit, 
that is the Holy Spirit, eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. Did I miss that one phrase? Okay, verse 4. You have become estranged from Messiah. You who attempt to be justified by law, you have fallen from grace, which means you've turned away from grace. You've rejected it. You've renounced it. Salvation is a gift of God by grace and mercy. But if you're attempting to be saved by the law, you've rejected his grace and his mercy. You turned away. For because we through the Spirit eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. Does Paul say, I have righteousness? He says, I have the hope of righteousness by faith. Meaning what? Waiting for it to happen. He's talking about in the rapture and the resurrection when we're brought into the new heavens, the new earth, the kingdom of God, into God's presence, all that good things. We wait for that to be fulfilled because of the faith that we have. God promised us the gift of God is eternal life through our Messiah Yeshua. He's not hoping for eternal life because of his good works. That word hope for means that we are not there yet. I know Daniel gave us a lot of scriptures about where it looks like it says in the Bible, have been saved. Actually, it says are being saved. But let's look at a few. Let's go to Genesis 15, verse 6 as our starting point. And I'd be disappointed if you can't quote it to me by now. I know you can. But it's got to be the starting point of every examination of salvation by faith. Genesis 15, verse 6. And he believed in the Lord, and he counted him for righteousness. Was Abraham a Jew or a Gentile at this point? He's a Gentile. So is salvation by faith only for the Jews and the Gentiles are saved a different way? No. Is it only for the Gentiles and the Jews are saved another way? No, because no, there's only one way. Where do we find that in the scripture? John 14, verse 6. Messiah said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. Let's go to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. Verse 17. Romans 1, 17. For in it, it being the gospel, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the just shall live by faith. For. What's for mean? Because the just shall live by faith for, because, on account of, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. So if we claim to be saved by faith, but we go and continue to walk in sin, 
What does it say about God's wrath? It's against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. What's the opposite of righteousness? Lawlessness. Wow. We've already looked at Romans 3, 21 to 22. We'll look one once more. Romans 3, 21. For by now, but now, the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Yeshua the Messiah to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference. One way, and that is salvation by faith, to believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of our Messiah. Romans chapter 4, verse 5. Could you go, could you go back to Romans 1, please? Yes, go back to Romans 1, verse, verse 17. Romans 21. So people are without excuse, for though they knew God, they did not glorify him or give thanks to is new, like, believe. I, I, once I believed in new God, I never stuck. I, I glorified him. I never went backwards. Yeah. What is that believe or new God? It's talking about the fact that there were times in this world where every single person in the world knew God personally. First, of course, was in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve knew God personally, and yet... What did they do when Satan said, why don't you eat from the tree? Okay. They ate from the tree. But they knew God personally. They walked with God in the garden. They talked with him. And yet, now go forward to Noah's ark. Noah and his wife, his three sons and their wives, they knew God personally. When they came off the ark, every person in the world knew God personally. They were still alive at the Tower of Babel, some of them. How long did it take mankind to turn away from God? Let's go back to Genesis chapter 10 and 11. Go back to Genesis chapter 10 and 11. Verse 6, Genesis 10, 6. The sons of Ham were Cush, Mitzrayim, Put, and Canaan. Canaan, of course, that's Sodom and Gomorrah. Mitzrayim, that's Egypt. And verse 8, Cush begot Nimrod. He's the one who built the Tower of Babel. So he's the grandson of Ham. And they were overlapping generations. If we look up at the chart up here, let's see who was still alive when Nimrod was born. Noah's alive, Shem is alive. How long did Ham live? He's still alive too. They say that Shem was the one who taught Abraham. And Shem's alive long after Abraham's born, so it's certainly entirely possible. 
So at a time when everybody knew God, the world still turned away and built the Tower of Babel so they could worship pagan idols. Breaks your heart, doesn't it? Oh, well, Romans chapter 4, verse 5. Does the scripture tell us why they turned away from God? Romans 1 does. And why was it? Because they did not want. Because they, did not, they were not thankful. And they, in their heart, refused to give God the thanks for so many good things he'd given them. Yeah. They would they, rather walk in sin yeah. than worship God. They made a conscious choice. Yep, their vain hearts were darkened. Romans chapter 4, verse 5. But to him who does not work, that is to earn salvation, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. Same chapter, verse 9. Does this blessedness then come upon the circumcised only or upon the uncircumcised also? This blessedness is having our sins forgiven when we turn to God by faith. So if we say that faith was accounted to Abraham for righteousness, how then was it accounted? While he was circumcised or uncircumcised? So it's not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised. Romans 4, verses 11 to 13. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith, which he had while still uncircumcised. So what is circumcision a sign of? The faith, which he had while still uncircumcised. That he might be the father of all those who believe, though they're uncircumcised, that righteousness might be imputed to them also. And the father of circumcision to those who are not only, who not only are of the circumcision, but who also walk in the steps of the faith which our father Abraham had while still uncircumcised. For the promise that he would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. So circumcision is a sign of the faith of Abraham. Do you see why it says only those who are of faith are the descendants, the seed of Abraham? Romans chapter 9, verse 30. What shall we say then? The Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness... That is, they didn't pursue righteousness through the works of the law. They didn't know what the law was. Have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness of what? Faith. They didn't even know what the law was. And yet, they received salvation through faith. Just as the Jewish people who believed. In Romans 9.29, it says, And as Isaiah said before, unless the Lord of Sabaoth had left us his seed. What is Sabaoth? What's that? Yes, Lord of hosts. Is that an Isaiah? They've just 
transliterated Zavaot through the Greek and the English. Wonder why they didn't just use a Greek word there. Romans 9 29. And lastly, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7, before I get off this soapbox. God bless you. I don't know if you're like me, but the closer we get, God bless you, to the time of the end, the more I just feel a need to get preachy. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7. By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness, which is according to faith. That's before Abraham. Salvation was by faith before Abraham? That's because it's always been by faith. Back to Galatians chapter 5, up to verse 6. Galatians chapter 5, we're up to verse 6. For in Messiah Yeshua, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything, but faith working through love. What were the false teachers teaching in Galatia that salvation is by circumcision? He's saying it's not whether you're circumcised or not. That's not how God determines salvation. But it's what? It's faith working through love. What does working through love mean? Yeah, once you come to faith, then you will obey him out of love. That's the kind of obedience the Lord's looking for. Not, gee, I have to, but gee, I get to. I want to serve the Lord. Did you know he died for me? I owe him. Yeah. Uh, let, let me... Sometimes when I sit down and I look at myself and I'm saying, why is it so difficult for me to think ahead? Shabbat's coming up. Like the day earlier, well, not today, but yesterday, you know, Friday, was is the day of preparation. And I, I worked pretty much the whole day getting ready. Uh, and uh, and it's, it's so difficult sometimes to think ahead because I tend to get lazy, want to fall back uh -huh. in that old, in that old way that was easy or because I, could, I did pretty much what I wanted to, when uh, I wanted to. And that's where the man's heart wants to take us, is what I want to do. Heart deceitful above all things, and desperately wicked. Yeah, and if you love the Lord, you'll want to say, what does he want me to do? That's right. What can I do for the Lord today?
Yeah, let's look at 1 Corinthians 7.19. This isn't the only time Paul says it's not circumcision or uncircumcision. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, he's very clear. First Corinthians seven nineteen. Circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing, but keeping the commandments of God is what matters. So who does Paul say here should be keeping the commandments of God? Only the circumcised and the uncircumcised, that's everybody. <laughs> What was it Solomon said in Ecclesiastes 12? What is the whole duty of man? Let's go back and look at those words. How many volumes have been written saying, why are we here? What's man's purpose? How do I achieve happiness in this lifetime? Ecclesiastes 12.13 gives us the answer. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is, doesn't say for this is a Jewish man's all, does it? It says for this is man's all, meaning mankind, every one of us. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. So why are we here in this world? We're here to worship the Lord our God. We're here to come to him by faith and then serve him out of love. John 14, 15, I know y'all can quote. What's it say? If you love me, keep my commandments. And then, of course, verse 24 says, The word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. You know as well as I do what 1 John chapter 2 verses 3 to 4 say. Well, let's look anyway. Since this will go out on the internet, there may be people out there going, no, I don't know. If you've wondered why we are so repetitious, it's because you never know when somebody out there on the internet just grabs this as their very first teaching they've ever heard on the subject. 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, and then verse 6. Now by this we know that we know him, if we keep his commandments. He says, I know him, does not keep his commandments as a liar, and the truth is not in him. Verse 6 says, he who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. Just. Just as he walked. How did Messiah walk? Did he keep his father's commandments? Perfectly. Perfectly. How do we know? Because he says that in John chapter 15. Look at verse 7 of this same chapter. Brethren, I write no new commandment to you, but an old commandment which you have had from the beginning. Where in the Bible do we first learn that we're supposed to be keeping God's commandments? Genesis. Yeah, in the Garden of Eden, right? What happened when we didn't do it? Yeah, we got kicked out. What lessons should we have learned from that? 
Keep his commandments. Go to 1 John chapter 3. Verse 4. Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness. And sin is what? Lawlessness. Verse 7. Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous. Just as he is righteous. What's the opposite of righteousness? Lawlessness. So he who practices righteousness is righteous. What about he who practices lawlessness? That's not how you want to stand before God on judgment day, is it? No. Verse 10, in this the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. I mean, this is how you can tell one from the other. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. <laughs> My Bible makes a note. Yeah, yeah, it's back in the book of John. Yeah, they forget the fact that it's from Leviticus. <laughs> As we're in John, 1 John 5. Your homework is to read Revelation chapters 2 and 3, the verses on being an overcomer. Have you ever done that? Let's take a minute and do that. And then we'll come back to 1 John 5. Go to Revelation chapters 2 and 3. There are seven promises made to the overcomers. But Revelation 2 and 3 doesn't tell us who the overcomers are. You have to go back to 1 John for that. 1 John explains what Revelation chapters 2 and 3 mean by the overcomers. Look at verse 7. Revelation 2, 7, the first promise. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. How many of you would like to eat from that tree? That means uh -huh. eternal life. Yep. Who gets to eat from the tree? The overcomers. Same chapter, verse 11. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. What is the second death? That's being cast in the lake of fire. Who will not be cast in the lake of fire? The overcomers. Verse 17, same chapter. You as an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat. Where is that hidden manna? It's in the Ark of the Covenant. I'll give him a white stone. What does a white stone mean? Not guilty. And on the stone, a new name written, which no one knows except him who receives it. Come judgment day, do you want the white stone or the black stone? The white stone, then you need to be an overcomer. Verse 26 of the same chapter is the fourth promise to the overcomers. He who overcomes and keeps my works until the end. What's it mean, keeps my works till the end? Do what I do. Yeah, keeps the commandments until the end. Tim, I will give power over the nations. That is the power to be king and priest, as promised in Revelation 1 7. That promises to he who overcomes. Next in chapter 3, we have verse 5. 
He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments. What are the white garments? The righteousness of the saints. And I will not blot out his name from the book of life. But I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. Do you want him to confess your name? Then you need to be an overcomer. Verse 12 is the next one. Revelation 3.12. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. And he shall go out no more. Do you remember how David prayed and prayed for that in the Psalms? That promise is to he who overcomes. And the seventh and last is in verse 21, Revelation 3.21. Tim who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne. Would you like to sit on the throne with Messiah and rule and reign forever and ever? Then let's turn back to 1 John chapter 5 and see what the Lord considers an overcomer. 1 John chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. Whoever believes Yeshua is the Messiah is born of God. And everyone who loves him who begot also loves him who is begotten of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world, but who believes Yeshua is the Son of God? Notice, love of God and of Messiah is in verses 1 and 4 and 5. And showing God our love through keeping of the commandments is in verses 2 and 3. Why is it interspersed? Why didn't he put verse 1, then 4, 5, then 2, and 3? Because you've got to have that relationship. Because if we truly have that relationship, how do we demonstrate it? Uh, okay. By obeying the commandments. Second John chapter 1. I notice nobody's saying what chapter? Because yeah. there's only one. Verse 6. This is love that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment. Look at that. Just like in Deuteronomy 6. The commandment. That as you have heard from the beginning, you should walk in it. The commandment that you have heard from the beginning. You should walk in it. But I thought Messiah came to do away with God's commandments. To put him in the old folks home. And replace him as the new loving God. Didn't he? No. Absolutely not. So let's go back to Galatians. Chapter 5, verse 7. You ran well. He says, I came, I preached salvation by faith. You made a profession of faith. You were doing good. You ran well, period. That means for a while. It says, who hindered you 
from obeying the truth. What is the truth? Psalm 119, verse 142. Torah. But wait a minute. They're trying to be saved by keeping Torah. But that's not what the Torah teaches. The Torah teaches salvation by faith. Why are the two witnesses, Moses and Elijah, in Matthew chapter 17? Moses represents the law and Elijah the prophets. What teaches of Messiah according to the scripture? The law and the prophets. What teaches us to come to God out of faith and then to walk in obedience? The law and the prophets. Go to 1 John chapter 4. We don't go to 1 John 4 very often. I'm excited to go here. You should make that a study book, huh? Yeah. 1 John 4, 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Uh-oh. The false prophets, the false teachers... Are they not being sent by the Holy Spirit according to chapter 4, verse 1? No, they are not. But in Galatians, Paul said you ran well. He uses an analogy of a race. How many of you have ever run a race? Probably most of you. How many of you got an award for not finishing the race? Now that's today's standard, right? Everybody gets a participation trophy. But not, it, not when we went to school, right? The one who got the trophy was the one who finished the race. First, let's go to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. Paul writes a lot about the races because they were very common throughout the Roman Empire. Acts chapter 20. Verse 24. But none of these things move me. Nor do I count my life dear to myself. So that I may finish my race with joy. What he means is. It would be very easy in his position. He's been shipwrecked. He's been snake bit. He's been stoned. They've tried to kill him many different ways. Be easy for him to just throw up his hands and say, I'm done with you all. But Paul says what? I've got to finish the race. Got to finish the race. 1 Corinthians 9. 1 Corinthians 9. Verse 24. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 24. 
Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. Paul doesn't say everybody gets a participation trophy, does he? We need to be thinking more about what the Lord means in Matthew chapter 7 about many are on the broad road and few are on the narrow road. The Lord gave us two historical incidents to think back of when we're thinking about the rapture. One is the days of Noah. How many people got on the ark? Eight. How many died? All the rest. Everybody else. Only eight people were saved. When Lot was taken out of Sodom and Gomorrah, how many people survived? Three, because Lot's wife looked back and died. The fiancés declined to go. They thought he was ah, just joshing. How many survived? Three. How many died? All the rest. Doesn't sound like 50-50, does it? Let's go to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4. Second Timothy chapter four, verse seven. This verse I really love because Paul tells us how to finish the race. Not just to finish it, but how do we finish it? He says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. Not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. How did he finish the race? He has kept the faith. That's what he's trying to get across to these people in Galatia. Is that if you turn away from God's grace, get circumcised to earn salvation, you quit the race. And yet you expect a prize at the end. You expect a crown when you quit the race. Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. Verse 1. Therefore, he talks about how many people amongst the prophets and those that came before him died serving the Lord. They could have saved their lives by how? Simply renouncing God, turning away. I was just kidding. I'm going home. 
says, therefore we also, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. This is also a very favorite verse of mine. Because he says, you won't finish the race unless you lay aside what? The sin which so easily ensnares us. Because the sin wants you to veer off the racetrack. The scripture says, don't divert either to the right hand or to the left. And the sin says, no, no, come on. Take this exit ramp. There's more fun out there we can have. Drop out of the race. And what does Paul say? Finish the race. Back to Hebrew, no. But we'll go back to Galatians, chapter 5, verse 9. Because it sounds just like 1 Corinthians, chapter 5. When he says in verse 9, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Wait a minute, we skipped something, didn't we? Yes, we did. So verse 7 says, You ran well, who hindered you from obeying the truth. This persuasion that is not to obey the truth does not come from him who calls you. He says, it's not God who's getting you to change course. You've got to test the spirits. They're not from God. They're from Satan that wants you to get off the racetrack and run a different race. And then verse 9, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. By that he means you can't continue running the race and playing with sin. And saying, well, well, it's just a little sin. I can handle it. Because the little bit of sin grows. It permeates. It leavens the whole lump. Let's go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. To which Paul refers back. He refers back to his own writing. After all, he is a rabbi. And what does the rabbi's Talmudim do when he, the rabbi throws out a verse? Context. They put it in context. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 1. It is actually reported. Can you see the shock on Paul's face? The disappointment. It's actually reported there is sexual immorality among you. And such sexual immorality as is not even named among the Gentiles. That a man has his father's wife. Does that break a commandment of God? Which one? It's Leviticus chapter 18 verse 8. It's very specific. Keep a finger here. Let's go back to Leviticus. What's my point? If Paul thought the commandments had been abolished, he wouldn't be citing one as proof of his argument. Leviticus 18.8 The nakedness of your father's wife you shall not uncover. It is your father's nakedness. So while this is not his mother, it's another wife of his father, God specifically said what? Thou shalt not. And yet, rather than condemn the man and say, you can't do this, it's sin, they pat him on the back and say, way to go, look at you. Says, and you are puffed up. That's how I know they're patting him on the back. What does it mean, puffed up? 
prideful. They're taking pride in the man's sin. They're happy about it. And have not rather mourned that he who has done this deed might be taken away from you. Then go down to verse 6. Your glorying is not good. Do you not know the little leaven leavens the whole lump? If they leave that man in the congregation, what's going to happen to the others in the congregation? If he can do it, I can do it. What's good for the goose is good for the gander. There's all kinds of old adages. They all mean, hey, if he can sin, I can sin. What does Paul say? Therefore, purge out the old leaven. He tells him to remove that man from the congregation to excommunicate him. That you may be a new lump since you truly are unleavened. For indeed, Messiah, our Passover was sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast. What feast? Passover. But these are Gentiles. Why would Gentiles be keeping the Passover? Because who taught them? Paul did. That's why he says in 1 Corinthians 11, 1 and 2. 1 Corinthians 11, 1 and 2. Imitate me, just as I also imitate Messiah. Now I praise you, brethren, that you're remembering all things and keep the traditions, the great paradises, the Hebrew halakha, just as I deliver them to you. Who taught these Gentile Christians to keep God's commandments? Paul did. Why? Weren't the commandments only for Jews? How many times have I heard that? But what does the Bible say? Give me a verse. Lots of scripture. How about Numbers 15? Verses 15 and 16. Let's go look at it. That's only one. There's so many. We could go to Deuteronomy, we could go to Leviticus, there's many places. But Numbers 15, verses 15 and 16, says, One ordinance shall be for you the assembly and for the stranger who dwells with you, an ordinance forever throughout your generations. As you are, so shall the stranger be before the Lord. One law and one custom shall be for you and for the stranger who dwells with you. One law and one custom. Is that not fairly clear? It is to me. Yeah, but Wayne. Yeah, but Wayne. We don't live with Israel. We're here in America. You're not grafted in, right? <laughs> oh, but that's the problem. I've heard many preachers teach on 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. And right after they teach that the law has been abolished, it's not to be followed, they say, but we keep God's commandments. Just don't keep the law. We keep God's commandments, but you don't keep the law. They don't realize it's one and the same. Okay. Back to Galatians. We're down to nine minutes. Verse 10. After learning a little leaven leavens the whole lump, he says, I have confidence in you in the Lord that you will have no other mind. He who troubles you shall bear his judgment, whoever he is. Paul says, I am confident, now that we've talked, that you will forget this idea of earning salvation, that salvation comes through circumcision and keeping commandments. I have confidence that you will reimburse, that you will 
re-grab the Lord, that you will re-grab your salvation by faith. But he who troubles you shall bear his judgment, whoever he is. What's that mean? Does God have a problem with people who lead others astray? Let's go to Matthew 18. Matthew 18. Matthew 18, verse 6. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin. In Hebrews chapter 4, how did they describe all the young believers? As babes, as little children. Whoever caused one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depth of the sea. How is that better? Because that would only be physical death. So what is waiting for those who lead people astray? Who lead them away from salvation? The lake of fire. Look at Matthew 23, 15. Oh my, my, my. Matthew 23, 15. Remember, if you're not a horse, woe is a bad thing. It says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you travel land and sea to win one proselyte. When he's one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves. Oh, does he say you scribes and Pharisees will have a little less reward in heaven? That's not what he said, is it? When he says, as yourselves, he says, where do you think your eternal destiny is going to be? Don't wear anything flammable, okay? And of course, we have Matthew 5, where the Lord was so very clear. Verses 19 and 20. Whoever therefore, therefore means because not a single letter or piece of a letter will pass from the Torah till heaven and earth pass away. Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever does and teaches them shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For, meaning this is the same teaching, it's not a change of topic. For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. The righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees is based upon what? Works. Works. Man-made commandments. Man-made commandments. So they reject the Torah and replace it with their commandments. And God says they will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. But now if Christians later do the same thing, well, that's okay, right? Yeah. No, I don't think so. You just didn't know any better. Yeah. Uh-huh. So back to Galatians. I don't want to judge anybody. I want them all to repent before it's too late. Verse 12. I could wish that those who trouble you would even cut themselves off. Well, how do you say this in a PG-13 manner? 
everything. <laughs> it means to, circum to totally emasculate themselves. It reminds me of that movie, Robin Hood, Men in Tights. Remember that parody? Where the old Jewish rabbis riding through town with a sign that says, Circumcision Special, half off. <laughs> Only here, he's talking about 100% off. Look at Mark chapter 9, verse 43. Did I skip verse 11? Yeah, I probably did. So let's look at verse 11. And I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, that if I still preach salvation by circumcision, which, by the way, Paul used to before he met the Lord, why do I still suffer persecution? Then the offense of the cross has ceased. Paul says, I used to teach the very same thing. What do you think changed my mind? I met the Lord on the road to Damascus and found out where I was headed. And he told me if I don't want to go that way, I need to do what? What's that key word? Repent and be saved by faith. So now to verse 12, I could wish that those who trouble you would even cut themselves off. Go back to Mark 9. Mark 9. Verse 43. Talking about gender changes way back there. Yeah, believe it or not, way back then. <laughs> if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter into life maimed rather than having two hands to go to hell into the fire that shall never be quenched. Back to Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Liberty, set free from slavery to sin. That's exactly what it means. But then how does the sentence end? Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh. What does that mean? To sin. But through love serve one another. How do we love one another? We keep God's commandments. If I love my neighbor, do I steal from him? Do I try and kill him? Do I want one and try to take what is his? The answer to all that is no. This is the same as Romans 6, 1 and 2. We may as well turn back there. I don't know how anybody can teach that Paul taught the commandments have been abolished if they've read Romans 6. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? That means repent and stop sinning. Of course, I know I was listening to a, a pastor today say, but you can't preach that because you'll lose your people. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, I would rather see my people in heaven than worry about my offering plates. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17. 
We keep talking about liberty, yes, but what does it mean? Verse 17 says, now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. When we're saved by faith, we have the liberty to keep the commandments of God out of love. It's not a burden. It's a heart's desire. Book of James, chapter 1, verse 25. James, chapter 1, verse 25. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty, that's the Torah. What's that? James 1.25. He looks in the perfect law of liberty and continues in it. And is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. This one will be blessed in what he does. Does that say stop keeping God's commandments? Or does it say be a faithful keeper? 1 Peter chapter 2. What does Peter have to say to us? Verses 15 and 16. Even into 17. 1 Peter chapter 2 starting in verse 15. For this is the will of God. That by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. As free yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice. What is vice? Sin. Sin. But as bond servants of God, honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Second Peter chapter two. Uh oh. Why does the New Testament warn us over and over that there's false teachers out there? Because there's false teachers out there. Okay, verse 1 says, But there were also false prophets among the people, that is back in Israel in the Old Testament, even as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them, and bring on themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their destructive ways, because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. What is truth? Psalm 119, verse 142. The Torah. So they will tell you to quit following God's commandments and walk in sin. Verse 3, by covetousness, they will exploit you with deceptive words, meaning what do they really want from you? They want your money. For a long time, their judgment has not been idle and their destruction does not slumber. And then go down to verse 18 of the same chapter. Still talking about these false teachers. That's what this whole chapter is about. Verse 18 says, For when they speak great swelling words of emptiness, they allure through the lusts of the flesh. Through lewdness, the ones who have actually escaped from those who live in error. Meaning they take those who are actually following the Lord and they lead them astray through the lusts of the flesh. 
Oh my. While they promise them liberty, they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by whom a person is overcome, by him also he is brought into bondage. And we've hit the end of our time. I see people are starting to punch off the internet. So we'll pick up next week, Lord willing, in Galatians chapter 5, verse 14.